Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 24th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. After the last End Times update that we had done with Don Fox back at the beginning of February, what we sort of concluded that perhaps we should do these at least periodically, or, or even eventually regularly in in even periods perhaps once a month once every six weeks whatever and it will give us an opportunity to track trends in in the economy and and social life and politics and even though tonight's presentation is basically Don's presentation and and it's centered mostly around the economy and the food supply I hope in the months to come that we could branch this out into discussions <coughs> on other aspects of life as well. And in that manner, sort of keep our thumb on the pulse of what's going on in the wider world around us. Most of my work it is kind of... Um, I, I don't really want to call it obscure. I, I mean, when you're doing deep um, biblical exegesis on things like Ecclesiastes, it's really hard to pay attention to what's going on on Wall Street. That's just the way it is. So maybe this will enable me to to monitor some of that as well, and, and Don could help me do that, and, and also hopefully dovetail with the Protocols of Satan series, which is ongoing. I understand that I've hardly touched it this year. This calendar year, I think I've only done one installment of the Protocols of Satan, maybe two since Thanksgiving. It's um, difficult being on the road and, and with the added responsibilities that Melissa and I took on at the end of last year, it's not always easy to do two or three deep studies every week. I, I just find that find that too time consuming and and still travel and do the other things that we like to do at Christagenia. So here once again is Donald Fox and this is another end times update. This is going to be titled End Times Update March 2018 and I pray we get at least six or seven more of these perhaps out this year and and make this a regular ongoing format. Hello, Don. Thank you for being here. Hey. Uh, hello, Bill, and how's it going on this fine Saturday? Wonderful. I, I mean, my head's still spinning. Melissa and I didn't get back from Knoxville until like um, almost midnight Wednesday, and I've had a million things to do, and it's hard to get settled in this week, so I definitely appreciate your being here this evening. Well, I'm glad to be here, and... Um um, we've been doing a lot of studying around my house, and uh, we've put together some info we think uh, our fellow Christians should uh, should be aware of. Well, well, right. I mean, what we've spoke about this many times in the past. The the fall of Mystery Babylon is described as primarily an economic collapse, and even though we don't want to pin our hopes in the economy, we want the economy, we want it to fail. I mean, Christians should want it to come crashing down. That's um, 
what well, that that's when it is our turn to repay the beast for everything that it's been doing to us that that's pretty clear in revelation chapter 18 yeah and that's kind of where i i wanted to start um was we kind of left off with that on the last show and uh i thought maybe i just would read that that passage again uh, real quick here just for people maybe that didn't hear the last show and maybe they can go back in the archives and and check that out but yeah what we're uh, referring to is uh, revelation chapter 18 um verse uh, uh eight nine uh, i think eight through eleven um therefore shall her plagues come in one day death and mourning and famine and she shall utterly and she shall be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they see, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, um, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. So well, yeah, that, that that does primarily describe an economic collapse. So that's kind of where I've spent the bulk of my time studying. That that's a global economic collapse. If if um Babylon the Great City must be figurative there. It it must stand for an entire global system because the merchants of the earth have no more merchandise correct yeah so and i used to be a political junkie and yeah it's fun to talk about trump and, and schumer and stuff like that but you know i see this as being bigger than them um so i've spent more time on maybe macro trends than just maybe who the current president is or who the current speaker of the house is or who's the minority leader in the senate you know things like that well, well, they're all just in, in as individuals. They're 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 cogs in a wheel. That they're minor players in in a grandiose scheme. That that's all they are. It doesn't matter who the president is because the people that really rule us are behind the scenes. So they put the actor that is going to be the most expedient role player for them to they put that actor in in the president's seat and and they project an image through that actor but that image isn't really what's going on at all that's correct and um back in february i did a blog post and it's titled we name presidents and if you go to my blog donaldfox.wordpress.com uh, it'll be the second post down you can click on that and it talks about um, you know, the protocols describing how they, you know, the Jews, the international Jews, pick our presidents, and they also run the the bureaucracy, you know, the deep state, as it were, that actually runs things in the government. Yeah, you know, I wrote a series of articles on politics quite a few years ago, and not that I wanted to get involved in politics, but because I wanted to educate identity Christians on the absolute lack of value in politics because there is no political solution and 
playing the political game and and putting your hope in a man to save you is basically worshiping the beast and I have another article with that title and in essence it, if the if a small circle of Jews control the money supply and print all the money how could anybody ever think that they're going to outvote those Jews whoever they put in office that person is going to do their bidding yeah I mean that's that's what it boils down to and even if you got somebody in there who was an honest person that wanted to fix things he's gonna run into the deep state bureaucracy that's just not going to allow that well, well right he's going to run into walls rather than get one built yeah correct yeah it um, there's a meme I, I had sent out on Gab earlier this week and uh, I, you know a few days ago and uh, it's the it's the kid from the matrix trying to bend the spoon and it says do not try to bend the government that's impossible instead only try to realize the truth that there is no government only a coven of satanic Jew vampires that have schemed for centuries to dispossess and eliminate white people in order to hasten the arrival of their demonic messiah who has promised them to enslave the remaining peoples of the world and set up the Jews as rulers for all eternity. Well, well right, but the truth is that if you understand the Camp of the Saints scenario in Revelation chapter 20, if you understand that Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are unfolding before our eyes, if you understand that the Christian God foretold that what we are seeing today would indeed happen, then we must know that God is true, and in the end, the satanic Jew is going to his demise. He is going to fail. He is not going to succeed in his plan. Correct. Yeah, that's what their plan is, but it will not succeed. And I guess we're here to offer up somewhat of a white pill, so... As you said, God's plan is unfolding, and really the purpose here tonight is just to show our brothers and sisters, yeah, in fact, if you look hard at this, you can see God's plan unfolding, which in the end will deliver us from the satanic Jews. No doubt. No so doubt. It, it, and part of that plan, yeah, as you talked about, you know, Ezekiel 38 and 39 and uh, some other related scriptures, you know, we're, we're kind of focusing on Revelation 18 here. And recently, you know, Toys R Us, you know, was trying to emerge from bankruptcy, but it failed. And I, I think this is an interesting case. Um, I'm just going to read part of an article here from the New York Times. Um uh, it's from the New York Times. It was published on March 15th um, on nytimes.com. Uh, the title of the article is Toys R Us Cases Test of Private Equity in Age of Amazon. Um, the mood in the courtroom was hope hopeful when Toys R Us filed for bankruptcy last September. The company's lawyer in the first hearing played a clip of the retailer's famous jingle, I'm a Toys R Us kid, and vowed to restore the company's place in the hearts of millions of American families. The reality is that Toys R Us, which announced on Thursday that it would shutter or sell all of its stores in the United States, never had much chance at a turnaround. For over a decade, Toys R Us had been drowning in $5 billion of debt, 
which its private equity backers had saddled it with. With debt payments siphoning off cash every year, Toys R Us could not properly invest in its worn-out suburban stores or outdated website. Sales plummeted as Amazon captured more children's desires and their parents' wallets for Star Wars Legos and Paw Patrol recycling trucks. Um, Toys R Us is, is the latest failure of financial engineering, albeit one that could portend a potentially more, more ominous outlook for private equity in the digital era. Okay, and that, that's a key point right there. Um, there's a lot of these retail firms that have been bought up by private equity firms and that are laden with debt. Uh, in the past, that business model could could work to a degree, um, especially before Amazon became this behemoth that it is. Now the the private equity firms swallowing up a, a major retailer and all that debt, uh, the the sales just can't generate enough income to service the debt. On another note, and, and I'm not trying to detract what you've said about Toys R Us. It's absolutely true. On another note, there's a lot of memes going around about Toys R Us because they were major corporate supporters of Planned Parenthood. And, and the memes suggest that they basically put themselves out of business because yep. they killed off their own prospective customers. And that's I, I think that's funny because it's sort of... Um, it it sort of fits in with the scenario that the beast hates the woman and devours her flesh, and that's what destroys well, the beast in the end, right? Yeah, Toys R Us is a good microcosm for what's going on out there. That's that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit tonight. Okay, so let's just take a look at Toys R Us for a minute. So it was it was owned by a Jew, and then it got swallowed up by a Jewish uh, equity firm. Um, yeah, let me just touch on that real quick. So the it, it, you know, the story goes on to say that uh, the toy business looked a lot simpler in 2005 when the private equity firms Bain Capital, Colbert, Kravis, Roberts, and the real estate firm Bernardo Realty Trust acquired the company for $5.6 billion. The investor group figured the toy industry was ripe for consolidation. So after the buyout, Toys R Us bought the famed uh, toy seller FAO Schwarz as well. So it this group of Jews bought two other Jewish retailers. And then they also went on to buy the uh, KB Toys brand. And that was also owned by Jews. So we have this we have this incestuous cycle of Jewish money buying up Jewish firms and consolidating them. And that used to work. And, and, and speaking of the protocols, I, I, I saw a resemblance here to Protocol 5. Um, says, capital, if it is to cooperate untrammeled, must be free to establish a monopoly of industry and trade. This is already being put into execution by an unseen hand in all quarters of the world. This freedom will give, the, will give political force to those engaged in industry, and that will help us to oppress the people. So Jewish money was trying to create a monopoly in the toy market. And the, the, this is this is a hundred-year-old scheme. A hundred years ago, there were thirty automobile manufacturers in upstate New York, and and probably more than that number in Michigan, in Ohio, 
there were all all these little let, let's call them mom and pop automobile manufacturers that in the middle of the 20th century were all consolidated into a few giant conglomerates and and most of the models and names disappeared but but look at um like general motors is is buick and and chevrolet and oldsmobile and and ford is lincoln and mercury and what whatever they were at one time all separate companies yeah and then the, the auto industry underwent consolidation yeah, so so this is a hundred-year-old game, is what I'm trying to say. Correct. And, yeah, and it, it's a great example of what's happened in other sectors of the economy, and it's it's in the news now. So I, I figured this would be a timely topic to to talk about. Well, well, it's on steroids today. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same game, but it's it's being played at a much higher level today. So we've got the incestuous, but the the. You know, this relationship between Jewish retailers, Jewish equity capital, and, you know, the construction of a monopoly. Um, and it, it worked for a minute, um, but uh, they, they ran into trouble because Toys R Us eventually could not pay down any of this debt. They could only uh, pay the interest. Um, and it, it says here, uh, the, the story goes on to say... Uh, the company had considered going public, giving its private equity owners a way to cash out. That was back in 2013. Um, but they decided against uh, the IPO because of unfavorable market conditions. Um, so they were they were having trouble. They wanted the, the private equity wanted out. So here really so we're seeing in 2013 we're kind of seeing the first signs of the Jewish equity capital firms trying to get out of their control of a Jewish toy retailer. Um, but they couldn't pull it off, so they, they tried to keep kicking the can down the road. Um, but then enter Amazon. In recent years, the company had started to aggressively expand its toy business, creating a comprehensive online showroom with low prices at the click of a button. Uh, pressed by Amazon, Walmart, also pushed hard into toys, dropping its prices to capture more market share. Um, Walmart could absorb the price cuts on toys because it makes up profits, you know, on other items. Uh, but for Toys R Us, the price war uh, was devastating. So in 2015, they brought in a new CEO. Um, he was the former head of the University of Michigan's athletic department, and he helped turn around Domino's Pizza, another private equity investment. Um, but he lacked extensive experience in the toy industry. Um, but by the time he had joined the company, they faced a conundrum after a lack of investments. Uh, the stores were in need of a serious overhaul. Uh, many Americans complained about its sprawling spaces and tired displays, but it was unclear whether those investments would pay off. So they got to the point where it wasn't really worth remodeling the stores because they were losing sales to Amazon and Walmart. And most of its debt, totaling about $5 billion, had not been paid down uh, since the buyout 12 years earlier. Um, Toys R Us was paying $400 million in interest payments each year. Only paying interest, no capital. No, Yeah, no, no, nothing to touch the principal. So $400 million a year. So the private equity is getting $400 million a year. 
and it's but it didn't touch the principal. Well, well, if you could get four hundred million on your five billion, you, it's in your interest to keep that company paying that interest forever and never paying the the, the capital. Yeah, if you can keep yeah, the, see, the that's principal. a great model. If you can keep the if you can keep the host alive to keep extracting the interest. Well, well, that's the scheme that the Federal Reserve runs on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's this is this is typical Jewish. Uh, usury. It's a typical Jewish usury scheme. Um, this company had a long history of taking on debt and kicking the can down the road for 10 years and refinancing, said Douglas M. Foley, a lawyer at McGuire Woods, who was representing a lender in the Toys R Us bankruptcy. Uh, with sales falling and debt payments mounting, the company's lawyer said in September that Toys R Us had too much debt. It filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection seeking to shed some of its debt and reorganize its business. Um, the company had spent near, nearly $50 million on legal, banking, and consulting fees from September through January. Um, so the, the lenders kind of let them slide through the holiday season, but then when the results weren't too good, they decided to uh, put the clamps down, and, and they said... Uh, um, you got to pay us, and that's when they had to they had to close up shop. The lenders determined they needed to stop burning through cash and start selling off the company's inventory and real estate. And then the the last paragraph of the story here: the retail industry is going through such a convulsion, it is not clear what the end of the road looks like," said Stephen B. Selbst a bankruptcy lawyer at Herrick Feinstein. If you are an equity investor, you probably think, you know what, I have other uses for my money. Herrick Feinstein, that sounds sort of like an Irish Jew. <laughs> right. <laughs> you you well, have, and, 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 and I know you're skimming the, the volume of information that you originally had here. Um, Toys R Us bought out FAO Schwartz. That was a huge, old, famous toy store. So, so now FAO Schwartz is, it is also um, bankrupt. And KB Toys and all of these assets, that the future of all of them is is um, basically not too bright. But Actually, I, I did see a story uh, a couple days ago. Uh, KB Toys is going to come back. Some other, uh, I'm, I'm presuming to be Jewish firm, is going to resurrect the brand. And they were going to be an online-only thing um, since Toys R Us wasn't using the name. And Toys R Us had basically paid $2.1 I think, in one story I read, for the rights to the name of KB Toys. They didn't buy any actual... Um, assets from KB Toys. They were just liquidated, so there was no real estate or inventory that they took over. Um, but they're going to bring back KB Toys, hopefully in time for the holidays. That's the, the, the last story that I saw. Now, now here you, you have some uh, other companies that uh, were structured and financed similarly to Toys R Us, uh, I gather, which followed the same financial model which are also in big trouble and, and possibly um, 
won't survive very long. iHeartMedia, Univision. Univision is Mexican television. I don't know how yeah. anybody thinks they could make money selling television to Mexicans. Um, Payless, Shoe Source, Jimbery, and, and there's a whole list of companies like this. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So Toys R Us is really the tip of the iceberg. So what happened to Toys R Us is going to happen to other firms that aren't going to be able to refinance. See, the, the, the key takeaway from the story is, is that the Jewish equity firm, the Jewish you know, venture capital, is no longer going to prop up Jewish retailers. Well, well, at least Jewish appearing retailers, right? It, it's pretty like um, <clears throat> fifty retailers, fifty major retailers filed bankruptcy in twenty seventeen. It, it's incredible, and and there's a list of um, of fifteen major retailers which are expected not to make it through twenty eighteen, and and the big name on there is Sears. Yeah, Sears is basically a zombie company. Um, we could do a whole show on them probably, but the last numbers I saw on Sears were that they had, I believe, was it $4 billion in assets and $8 billion in debt. And they've been staying alive by selling off real estate to pay for new inventory. Um, but the music's going to stop uh, with Sears at some point. Well, well, I had remarked on our last program that we spoke about retail that the Sears store, using an example, and, and the Sears store here in Panama City is just as bad, that the Sears store in Bristol, Virginia was always empty, and I didn't realize, I didn't understand how it stayed open, and, and Melissa and I were in Bristol, Virginia just about 10 days ago, and it's gone, it's closed. <laughs> Oh, it did, did close, huh? Yeah, and and that's the second, that mall in Bristol, Virginia it is um, a huge mall, and it's lost, it lost JCPenney, and I noticed that no store moved into where JCPenney was, and JCPenney closed as we were moving to Florida back in 2014, and no other store has moved into that retail space. Well, see, that's that's another key point is that when these giant retailers go bankrupt, like Sears and JCPenney, there isn't going to be another giant retailer to come in and fill that space. But he here's what I'm about, here's what I'm driving at. At the same time that this big Bristol Mall with these old line retailers that, that have been pillars of, of, of the American economy for a hundred years, Sears, JCPenney, and, and we know there are Jews behind them, or, or at least that the, that the people that, that got these companies to the point they were at in their heyday, heyday what were certainly Jewish financiers and Jewish merchants, well, well they're being replaced at the same time Cabela's built a huge mall in Bristol, Virginia up near Exit 5 on, on Route 81 and, and it's all brand new and Bass Pro Shops built another huge mall at the other end of Bristol, Virginia on, off of um, Exit 1 on Route 81 and, and they're huge complexes they're 
three and four times bigger than the Bristol Mall was, where these old line retailers are folding and going under. And we were driving through this new Bass Pro Shops, and we're familiar with Bass Pro Shops, but there were a whole bunch of store names that I didn't recognize at all in in this new mall, which tells me that 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 the money's being shuffled around. It's being pulled out of these old companies. Like you said, they're not going to finance Jewish retailers any longer. But it's being put into other ventures. Do, do you see what I mean? Well, maybe in the short term, but you're not going to see, there isn't going to be another JCPenney coming down the pike. You know, there isn't going to be another Sears. There may be, there are, there are retail stores opening, that's true, but they're nowhere near the size or scale of the ones that are going out. Well, well, no, they don't have thousands of stores. I mean, yeah. Sears had thousands of stores. And they were big stores, too. They weren't just, you know, these some of these smaller shops. The sort, Sears was an anchor tenant in just about every mall in the country, every big suburban, you know, sprawling mall. It, right. Sears was in there. But but it seems to me like everything is being turned upside down, that the venture capitalists and, and, and the older financial firms just aren't supporting this model any longer. No, and that's going to lead to uh, some other issues with real estate. And if, if these anchor tenants are going bankrupt, then how are these malls going to stay open? And if they can't, and even if they manage to stay open, um, how much tax revenue is this real estate going to produce now it's not going to produce anything like it did in the past no and that leads to less money going to prop up the local governments well, well right i mean there's all kinds of, of of implications when the large retailers all pack up and leave there's no doubt yeah so that's you know that that we're, we're starting to see kind of the the beginning stages of of some really bad times in retail. There are no manufacturing companies left, and now there are going to be no more retail, no more retailers. I mean, Sears employs tens of thousands of people. Yeah, and in a lot of these small towns, <coughs> the only jobs you can get are in retail. Oh well, the Bristol, Virginia—that's all there is. Is re all that's left is retail. That there's nothing else left. That all the industry is is torn down. Factories, entire huge factories that filled city blocks that were 100 years old but were being torn down while I was living there five, five years ago. That they'll never be replaced with industry. That they get replaced with housing, low-income low housing or strip malls. Yep, and you know, not only are we seeing the, the major retail operations go bankrupt, now we're starting to see supermarkets go bankrupt. Um, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, uh, I saw a story on uh, Bloomberg.com um, dated 319. It, uh, the title is Supermarket Bankruptcies Are Beginning to Pile Up um, by Greg Giamona. I'm probably butchering his name, the author of the story. Um, so he goes on to say uh, uh, this is how the grocery industry lives now. Uh, regional chains are filing for bankruptcy. European-born discounters are expanding, forcing competitors to keep their own prices low. And Kroger 
Kroger and Company and Walmart Inc., the two largest grocers in the U.S., are investing in technology and expanding delivery as they try to fend off an incursion by Amazon.com. Um, it's a bleak outlook for a sector that was supposed to be rebounding this year. And a historic bout of food deflation, which fueled a price war in the past two years, has ended. But efforts to sell more groceries online are gobbling up investment dollars. And some well-known names are crying uncle. Southeastern Groceries, uh, the owner of Winn-Dixie and Buy Low supermarket chains, filed for bankruptcy last week. Uh, the environment is intensely competitive, said Jennifer uh, Bartsouche. I'm probably butchering that as well. An analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and I don't see that easing anytime soon. Uh, for now, Amazon is more of a symbolic threat. It acquired Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market last year, but uh, that provided it less with less than 500 stores. Uh, the e-commerce giant's grocery delivery business, meanwhile, still has only a small slice of the grocery market. Um, but it's 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 uh, rattled investors. Um, so even so, Amazon's expansion has prodded traditional stores into making costly changes, and the fears of investors have battered their stocks. So far this year, Kroger and Walmart have lost more than $30 billion in market value combined. $30 billion. Um, but the grocery giants at least have the scale and resources needed to adapt. The industry's smaller players are at even more risk. Um, along with Southeastern Grocers, uh, Tops Friendly Markets also filed for bankruptcy in the past month. Based in Williamsville, New York, Tops has about 170 stores. Um, Southeastern Grocers, meanwhile, has nearly 700 locations. The company announced it was reorganizing on Thursday, on Thursday and plans to close 94 stores. Um, as the pressure mounts, other region, regional chains could go under, according to Roger Davidson, an industry consultant. Well, well, right, because the grocery business, even in, um, it, it's still today a very regional business. Like when in, in the Northeast, we shopped at A&P and ShopRite. You, you don't see them below the Pennsylvania border. I've never seen one. You, you know, down here, it's, it, it's Winn-Dixie and Publix. And, and um, in, in Bristol, Virginia, it's a, it's a regional food chain in Virginia and, and northeast Georgia and ten eastern Tennessee called um, Food City. And, and it's that there are Kroger's in, in those areas. And, and Kroger's runs up through the Midwest, right? Ohio, Pennsylvania. But, but that's my point is that food is very, food supermarkets are very regional. And they always have been and, and still are to a great extent. But it seems like that's changing. And, and as you progress through your, through your dissertation here, we'll see that. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, the next quote is, the weaker retailers are starting to collapse. Uh, tight margins. Uh, even before Amazon bought Whole Foods last year, pressure was ramping up in the grocery industry, which is known for razor-thin margins. 3%, this, I think, is historic. Yeah, it's 2 to 3%. Yeah, I've, I've heard two in a lot of places. Um, in recent years, food has proliferated at dollar stores and pharmacies, with groceries seen as a reliable drive driver of store traffic. Um, the rise of meal kits has also given U.S. consumers another dinner option, 
one that often translates to less grocery shopping. Um, all this comes after a, a building boom in the industry. Uh, for years, supermarkets were seen as a safe investment because they were mostly immune to the disruptive forces of e-commerce. There's been a bit of a moat around it, said James Cook, director of retail research at JLL. Uh, the feeling of security has evaporated. Last year, new grocery store openings plunged 29% as companies curtailed expansion plans. Uh, yeah, you know, these meal kits, right? I, I've seen, I, I've been bombarded with advertisements for meal kits. I wouldn't buy a meal kit. It, you don't know the quality of the ingredients. It, it's like a new kind of fast food. Yeah, I, I've seen those in some of the stores too. And maybe a couple of years ago, I might have bought one of those when I was, you know, completely single and in a hurry. Um, yeah, but as you say now, I'm a, I'm not alone anymore, and b, um, I'm I'm watching what I eat a lot more carefully. So, but you know, having said that, there's a, there's a lot of people that just want the convenience of a meal. It's like, hey, I had a long day at work. I don't feel like slaving away in the kitchen. You know, here I, I'm just going to go over there and pick one up on the way home. And, um, yeah, then the, the story goes on to say, uh, German rivals, uh, to be sure, some chains are still adding stores, mostly, most notably Aldi and Lidl. Um, the two longtime German rivals currently account for 27% of the grocery stores recently built or in progress. Uh, according to data from uh, research firm Planned Grocery. Um, Lidl is new to the U.S., but research has shown that it forces rivals to lower prices in the markets where it opens stores. Uh, Aldi has been operating in the U.S. since 1976 and now has more than uh, 1,750 stores. Um, it's spending more than $5 billion to remodel 1,300 existing stores and build an additional 750 locations over the next five years. So Aldi has money to invest in the latest and greatest, and they're coming in and these older, less well-financed regional chains are not able to keep up. Yeah, you know, we it's, it's only about 90 days, maybe 120 days, maybe the last four months that Melissa and I have been in a few places in our travels where we've seen these Aldi markets springing up. And and I believe one just appeared on Lee Highway in Bristol, Virginia. And, and I'm going back to Bristol. I, I love Bristol because it's uh, I think it's really representative of, of the typical... Um, southern town. It, it's it, it's um and and I don't get into too many. We we drive by a lot of towns on the interstate, but we don't go into the inner towns and visit them, right? So I know Bristol well and a few other towns, and that's about it. Well, well, we've seen these Aldis popping up in in Bristol and a couple of other places. We've seen them and just wondered what they were. And and now I know, right? Because they don't have one here yet. To, to go investigate but but this is um german supermarkets in america that this that this to me shows that the food business it is leaning towards being um internationally owned and controlled just like every other industry yeah um yeah the twin cities has a bunch of all these and i never really shot there because i always heard it was like a, a cheap low-end type place. I'm like, well, I'm not going 
to the low end. I would go to more of a mid-market type store. Um, but it sounds like Aldi is putting more money into the thing now. So um, they're coming on. Well, we've always perceived Whole Foods as a high-end type store. I, I mean, yeah. fr from my budget. And, and what's going to happen with them when Amazon takes an active role in managing them? If they're acquired by Amazon. Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon, um, and there's been a few hiccups there, but just that acquisition has sent shockwaves through the, the grocery business. Um, it, you know, as I alluded to earlier, uh, Walmart and uh, Kroger's have had to, they felt the hit just in stock price because people are, investors are wary that Amazon's going to start stealing sales because. The grocery industry as a whole is really slow growth. Um, it says about 2% per year. So really, if you're going to enter the grocery business, you're not going to really get new customers. You're going to have to steal somebody else's. I mean, everybody's got to eat, and everybody's already going to a store. So you have to, if you're going to get new customers, you have to take them from somebody else. Yeah, you know, okay, I'm guilty of being probably a huge Amazon customer, right? And I'm not wealthy, but Amazon saves me money. And we shop for a lot of things we buy on Amazon because I know it's going to be here in a couple of days. And I'm paying less for it than I am at stores in town, which are also chains, and, and I, I don't mind moving my business from one chain to another. Uh, I mean, it's you're going to buy your supplements from GNC or from Walmart or from Amazon. If I don't have to spend two hours in the aisles looking for a particular supplement, then I'm going it, to, it's a lot easier to do, to, to, go to Amazon and just do a quick search and find it, then, then spend two hours in the aisle. You know, Amazon is convenient. That's why they've gotten, and they make it easy. You know, they're they're an addicting type company. Yeah, it's real easy to push the button and get stuff from Amazon. But the, yeah, hugest, like the, the hugest advantage Amazon probably has is state taxes. They don't, there's yeah. no state real state sales tax collected. Yeah, and you know companies like Target have complained about that. They're, and you may see in the future they may start slapping that on Amazon because internet sales 10, 12 years ago were relatively right. minor. Oh, so now it's huge. But Amazon lost money for 10 years, at least 10 years, maybe longer than that. Oh, a lot longer than that. And that that was another point I want I was going to get to towards the end. But we might as well we'll touch on it now. Um, you know, not everything is as rosy with Amazon as, as everybody might think. Yeah, like, as you said, they had lost money year after year after year. Right. And but they, that company does have quite a bit of debt. And every, you know, the the perception might be among the public that every aspect of the Amazon operation is just a huge success, which is not really true. Um, it, it turns out, like, they've got one business segment, Amazon Web Services, that's hugely profitable. The rest of the business segments are the razor-thin margin that everyone else has. So it's really AWS, and that's where they, you know, web hosting and, you know, database hosting, stuff like that, that they, they, they sell to other companies. 
That's where they really make their money. And that's funded the, the ability of Amazon to go into other, other areas. But Amazon has a lot of debt. They, they're big. Um, they're really coming on strong, but they do have, they also carry a lot of debt. They, they lost they, they must have a tremendous amount of debt because I know for a fact that Amazon lost money at least the first 10 years it was in business, hand over fist. Now if you and I got together and opened a retail store and we lost money every quarter for a year or two, we, we're out of business, right? We're oh, done. Yeah. If we had any backing, they would pull the plug on us, yeah. There is no way they're going to keep backing us for 10, 12 years before we make money. But a lot of these internet companies, uh, I mean, the internet became commercial probably at, towards the end of 97, if, if I remember correctly. I, I mean, I was on the internet from 1993 to 1996 practically full time and and watched it very closely and and there was no Amazon there was no eBay that there was no PayPal before 1996 1997 these companies didn't exist at all but they lost money every year and and these investment bankers or, or what whatever types of investors had had put had pretty deep pockets to put money into a venture like eBay or Amazon or Yahoo year after year after year after year or Google year after year while these companies all lost money and and now they're making money but only because such a significant percentage of commerce has shifted to the internet commerce advertising whatever yeah yeah the, the action is now on the internet and it's not gonna you know once it gets going on the internet it, it, it tends to stay there so amazon is um they're a major player now they've 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 made enough money to where they can service their debt so and they're they're actually turning a profit so they're in good shape for now yeah and they're not going anywhere and most most businesses now no matter what the size a key strategy is how do i amazon proof my business because if if i have stuff that amazon can do eventually people are going to use amazon versus me somebody in my chat room just said that he thought that amazon was charging him taxes in missouri because they built a warehouse there That could be true. I've heard now more states are trying to get revenue from Amazon because so much business has gone there. So um, they had a free ride there for a long time. So hopefully that starts coming to an end. Well, well, I know if I cross the line into Alabama and buy something, I'm going to pay Alabama taxes on it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's only fair. I mean, it, Amazon's got enough advantages as it is. They don't need the, the free ride on sales tax. Um well, well, I mean, it's politics, and, and a lot of companies on the Internet have, have never collected sales taxes because they're on the Internet. I know that. And and I'm, I'm actually selling my own books now, and I'm not collecting sales taxes. Yeah, that's, uh, well, more power to you. Um, well, well, as far as I know, there's no compulsion for me to collect no, sales taxes. I don't, I don't think you need to, no, because you don't have a physical bookstore anywhere. Um, 
So the competition with Amazon in the grocery space, um, so brick and mortar is like, well, how do we compete with that? So the, the, the strategy is curbside pickup. And uh, I, I found a story on, uh, it was on Christian Science Monitor, you know, csmonitor.com. It was a Reuters story um, from December 18th of last year. So uh, the title of the story is Bricks and Mortar Grocery Stores Hope to Edge Out Amazon with Curbside Pickup. Um, so as, as Amazon.com looks to upend the U.S. grocery market with home delivery, some veteran supermarket operators are betting on a different strategy, curbside pickup. Um, Americans have long loved the convenience of drive through service for burgers and coffee. Uh, Kroger and Walmart are tweaking that formula for groceries. Uh, the companies have invested heavily in online systems that allow customers to order ahead from their neighborhood store. Workers pick and pack the product, then run them off to shoppers in the parking lot. Um, the grocery version of carry-out pizza. Um, for retailers, the service is cheaper than delivery because the customers do the driving. For shoppers, it means skipping the crowds and queues at their local market. And no worries about missing packages or melted ice cream if they are not at home to meet the delivery guy. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're seeing curbside uh, pickup in in uh, in Bristol or you know in Florida there, but I, I'm seeing that around here quite a bit in in Texas. I think I have seen in in a Walmart somewhere. I don't remember where. It could have been in Bristol. It could have been in Panama City Beach. Uh, I remember seeing somewhere a sign at Walmart telling people that they could call their grocery list in and pick it up in the parking lot. Yeah, the, the local grocery store, you know, a couple miles down the road here from, from my house, um, they they just, you know, they, they were kind of packed in. Anyway, that place is always busy. Um, they built a giant, I guess basically it looks like a double wide uh, for curbside pickup. And they have dedicated parking spots. So it took a chunk out of the parking lot and then they have, I don't know, eight or ten parking spots dedicated to people just coming up there, pulling in, getting their stuff, and leaving. Um, you know, in, the, in Texas here, of course, at the grocery store, you're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of mestizo people working in there, and that's who shops there. And if you don't want to go in there and deal with that, curbside pickup is a good way to, to avoid that. Well, you know, with the, with, with the caliber of employee I see at the Walmarts here in Panama City, where sometimes the aisles are awfully dark, I would be afraid that half my stuff would be stolen and never hit my trunk. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how they're going to get off with that. I, I just don't know. <laughs> There's going to be all kinds of problems. Well... Curbside pickup is a big win for the grocery store, and um, we were we were talking to somebody who's who's a, a representative, you know, sales rep for a, a large company, and his thought was that um, what what they're trying to do is eventually these grocery stores they don't eventually they want to get you out of the store completely. Um, they want to just have a warehouse. 
where the food comes to, and then they don't have to worry about spending all this money on heating and cooling, uh, you know, checkout staff, uh, security, public restrooms, you know, cart theft because the carts get stolen, you know, customer service, um, baggers, you know, stockers, all, all this. They want to they wanna lower the overhead because it's such a tight, the margins are so tight in that industry, um, the more fixed costs you can get rid of, the better off you're going to be. I, I I just saw somebody typed in the chat. Somebody from South Florida said that Walmart will deliver your groceries for free if your order is over thirty dollars. Yep, that's that's coming on, and um, I see what I've been seeing in my local. It's it's still if it's more than thirty five, they'll charge you. I think like four ninety nine or five ninety nine. So so Walmart is trying to compete with Amazon. Yes, but we had discussed. When we did our last End Times update, we had discussed the, the revenue that all of the major retailers had lost in, in the last um, last year, in, in 2017, I believe. And we had discussed Amazon's revenue. And Amazon's revenue was not a small fraction of what the major retailers had lost. So all of these losses are not being shifted to Amazon. Only a very small percentage of them are. Yet Amazon, because it appears to be megalithic, is actually driving the entire industry. If Walmart is reacting to what... Amazon is tiny compared to Walmart. And if Walmart is reacting to what Amazon does... Then Amazon is basically driving the, the 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 industry. Yes, Amazon drives pretty much whatever they get into, and yeah, they are that, that acquisition of Whole Foods. They are now driving the grocery business, and uh, the local supermarket manager here. Um, we talked to him, you know, a couple of years ago, and he said their their biggest competitor here is Walmart. The biggest seller of groceries is Walmart. Okay, Amazon revenues are a, a little more than I am that than I remembered it to be. It, it's one point seventy eight billion. It's it's one hundred and seventy eight billion, a hundred and seventy eight billion dollars in revenue. But Walmart's revenue is four hundred and eighty six billion for twenty seventeen. It, it's um almost three times larger than Amazon's. But Amazon seems to be steering the direction of the industry. Yeah, because Amazon has cutting-edge technology, and they're rapidly growing, and people like them. And Walmart, yeah, they have bigger sales, but they also have a lot more overhead to get that sales number. They have a lot of stores. Um, there's a lot of Sam's Clubs out there. There's a lot of Walmart physical stores out there. Right, but a lot of Amazon's revenue is in areas that Walmart probably will never compete. First, Amazon has a, a huge IT service. Yeah, the Amazon, yeah, the AWS, the Amazon Web Services. Um, Walmart will probably never get into that space. No, but but Amazon also has a lot of money in in, in revenue from electronic media, movies, music, things like that. 
that that Walmart is trying only to sell actual videotapes and CDs that that they're not that they're disparate markets. Walmart can't compete with that. Yeah, Amazon is actually producing television shows. Walmart, I, I I've never heard that anybody thinks Walmart's going to actually start producing a TV show or get like a a Netflix type service started. So I don't know. I I don't know how much of Amazon's revenue actually comes from retail. I I mean I'm sure it's probably the the significant portion of this 178 billion though. But but even with that. It, it's only um, 30% of what Walmart's revenue is, but Amazon is directing the industry. Well, it, part of what what Amazon does is another part of their business is the fulfillment by Amazon, where they get smaller retailers to send in inventory right. that gets stored in an Amazon warehouse, and then um, Amazon will market and sell it, and they also provide the customer service. And, and Walmart's actually tried to. Walmart has something called Walmart Market, what, where they have smaller retailers retailing smaller companies retailing their wares through Walmart Market. They've tried to compete with that uh, online, and it, it's not working for them. Yeah, it's a little bit different operation from from what I'm hearing. But uh, the the FBA program, so essentially, I mean, and it's kind of a Jewish scheme as well, where. Amazon doesn't pay for any of this inventory yet; they have it on their premises. You know, so they don't put out any risk, but they get the you know they get their fees and their commissions for selling stuff. Well, well, I'm trying. I'm probably bogging you down with these details, yeah. but my point is that Amazon is directing the direction of of all of these major chains. Yes, you're right. You're dead right about that. 100 percent right. So we're seeing the uh, the grocery industry is is becoming more and more consolidated. So what we've seen in the past with regular retail operations was consolidation, and now um, the the usury loans that propped up those big operations can no longer really it doesn't work anymore. So that part is is collapsing and going away, and now we're seeing consolidation in food. And food distribution, and and that's the dangerous part of all this. Yeah, and you can see where, you know, we're we're seeing a few giant um, uh, outfits that are really selling the groceries now. We're seeing Walmart, Kroger, Aldi, Amazon, and there's some regional chains, but. You have to wonder how long these regional chains are going to be able to compete because one story, and it's not my notes here, but I, I had seen a story last week. Um, Amazon has a new concept store at, at uh, one of their headquarters buildings in Seattle. It's called Amazon Go, where you just, um, it's not a big store. It's only 1,800 square feet. Um, but what you do is you just walk into the store, uh, grab a cart, you start pulling stuff off the shelf, put it in the cart, and then you just leave, and it deducts all the, the fees from your credit card. So you, you walk in, you scan your phone app or whatever, it knows who you are, and then as you put product in the cart, it figures out what you put in the cart, and then it charges you for it. 
There's no cashiers or anything. You're in and out. What what's what well, well convenience is clearly driving and, and the company that can serve the consumer with the most convenience and and I think that's you know that's where Amazon is the leader right now right because I, I mean one click shopping I mean come on that the other night uh, I needed um, Clifton takes melatonin at night he's 90 years old melatonin helps him sleep and for me to drive to town and buy him some melatonin from a GNC or fr from a local market is going to take me an hour. So, so I go on Amazon and I use one-click shopping. Click, done. It's paid for. It's on my way. It's going to be here today after tomorrow. Guaranteed. It always is here today after tomorrow. Yeah, Amazon stuff will even show up on Sunday. Um for a while there, the mailman would actually, the, the post office would deliver Amazon products on Sunday. They're delivering, the, the United States Post Office delivers packages on Sunday. Yes, they do. We see the truck pass by here all the time. And it just so happens that most of those packages are from you know where. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, so... They were talking about eliminating Saturday because of the post office, uh, because of the pension crisis. They were going to cut back on delivery, but then, again, enter Amazon. Lo and behold, now they've expanded by a day. Well, well right, because they can't refuse to turn down the revenue. They can't afford no. to turn down the revenue. No, so you know Amazon's changing that, and uh, well, well, right, because if the post office won't deliver packages on Sunday. UPS will, or, or FedEx, or whoever. Yeah, so, UPS was mo Monday through Friday for a long time, but you know, in the new in the new age of one one click shopping, and it's at my door. I mean, they're gonna have they're gonna have to deliver on the weekends. Well, well I mean, the Jewish merchants broke down the blue laws in in yeah. just about every state back in the nineteen sixties. And and I I know one of the companies I don't know if we're going to get to it this evening we might. What well, one of the companies that you mentioned in in your retail survey here is Vornado, Vornado Realty Holdings. When I was a little kid, that was two guys. And and there was a huge two guys in Jersey City. Two guys was like a Walmart supercenter back in the 60s. They had groceries, they had appliances, furniture, clothes, you name it. And I remember my my mother taking us to two guys to do grocery shopping on a Sunday because she worked and and had to had to shop on a Sunday, right? Quite often anyway. And and we walked through the two guys and and I'm like 5, 6, 7 years old and Half of the departments are roped off because of the blue laws. You couldn't go in those departments to buy anything. But you could buy certain things, and those departments were open. And and imagine that in a Walmart today, right? What would people care for that? <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't rope off half the store. No, we don't. You know, our guys took the day off today in this department, so you can't go there. That That's unacceptable in 2018. That just won't. And, and my... My, my point is that back in the 60s, the Jewish merchants broke down all the blue laws so that yep. they could sell all their wares on a Sunday. So why not force the post office to deliver Amazon packages on a Sunday? It, it's just a different version of the 1960s. 
Yeah, and 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 speaking of blue laws, uh, you know, I I just I came down from Minnesota a year ago, and Minnesota did not allow liquor sales on Sunday forever, and that changed in you know last year in 2017 in July they they finally allowed it, um, after much kvetching from you know who, um, liquor sales are now seven days a week in Minnesota. All the time. Yep, and I used to, you know, people, you know, and I used to drink quite a bit of beer, and I was always in favor of having the liquor store closed on Sunday. Um, I was like, well, hey, you know, if you really need to drink that bad, you can buy something on Saturday, you know, and we don't need to be a seven-day-a-week society, but... Well, well, when I was a kid in New Jersey, things were a little different. The liquor stores and the bars were closed on Sunday until 12 o'clock noon because they weren't allowed to compete with the churches. But once Mass was over, it was on. They were all open. <laughs> yeah, and strangely enough, uh, one, one blue law in Minnesota that still holds up is you can't buy a car on Sunday in Minnesota because um, that was, a, again, that was a 60s era law that they had put on the books because the car salesmen didn't want to work on Sunday. They wanted to watch the Vikings games. So well, Now I think the big question is, in Minnesota at least, whether or not the Somalians are allowed to rape women on Sunday. But that's <laughs> going on every day, and <laughs> we can we could probably do a whole show on Somalians. Um, in, in fact, I had seen a meme floating around on the Internet a couple weeks ago, and it, it had a... Um, it showed all the states where the where the most legal immigrants were coming from, and probably seventy five percent of the U.S. states, the legal immigrants, most of them are coming from Mexico, but Minnesota, it's Somalia, and believe me, there's plenty of Mexicans up there too, but there's even more Somalis. Well, well, I'm sorry to pull you off topic, but the food column, food market business consolidation trend is important so i think it's important we nail that yeah. correct yeah and that that's that's why we were, were were covering it um well well one of the what well, one of the punishments of mystery babylon when when it falls is famine and and if food is local how could that happen if all food is local how how could that happen right i, I mean i live in north florida and and there is that this is a huge cattle production area okay so you would think that I could just go to a ranch or a farm somewhere and buy me some beef buy a, a, a half a steer or a quarter steer I can't do it none of them sell local um, luckily here we there is a service now um, some of the local ranchers you can go to their website you put your order in on Thursday and they deliver it on uh, Sunday morning. I've only found one local ranch over towards Pensacola, two hours from here. So far, and I've been looking, I haven't been looking hard, but I have been looking. I found one local ranch that sells that these gourmet cuts of beef, and, and they want like $29 for a strip steak, and there's no bulk discount, right? Yeah. That, that, that's yeah, way over my head, right? <laughs> it's not happening, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and yeah, just to reiterate what you had said uh, about Mystery Babylon. So it says 
well, just to re- repeat that. Therefore, her plague shall come in one day, death and mourning and famine. Yeah. So that means the kind of the overall point we're getting at is that the food business will consolidate and then eventually collapse. But, well, that's what it looks like, right? That That's the trend that it's going in. A- Amazon, if Amazon and, and Walmart and and maybe one or two other huge companies the these local markets like tops and and Winn-Dixie and Kroger's are starting to hurt and these mega corp- these international mega corporations Aldi's and Amazon and Walmart take over the, the the food business then this scenario in Revelation chapter 18 actually becomes very plausible yeah, because most food, it, even if some regional companies survive, they won't be able to support their regions. They won't be able to feed their regions. With yeah, some, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct, Bill. So, so, so this that this food consolidation that this. Um, Amazon's prevalence in driving the market and and doing away with a lot of these smaller retail chains in the food business is actually a dangerous trend, trending towards the the, the scenario which we see and and making it very plausible. So yeah, I mean, so does this mean we're we think in 2019 the whole food distribution system is going to collapse? No, but. You can see the storm clouds on the horizon. Right, absolutely. You know, everybody wants to know, well, when's it going to happen? And we're all, you know, if we could push the button, we would do it right now, but that's not how it works. So. Absolutely. It, it might be another 50 years. It may be, but what we have to um, be able to look at this information rationally and, and, and gauge what's going on if if we're we're going to be concerned at all. So, yeah, I guess I, all, all we can tell the listener is, here's what it says in Scripture, and here's what we're seeing, and, you know, you kind of have to be your own judge as to when you think some of these events may occur. You know, I, I, I to, personally, I, I don't see this... I, I don't see any kind of a major collapse probably for at least five years. You know, who knows? It could be 50, like you said. Um, it, it depends on the financial markets. You know, I, I had a, talked about earlier, you know, with the, uh, um, you know, with the derivatives crisis, if, you know, if a certain sector goes kaput, you know, it, like happened in 2007 with, with Bear Stearns, you know, that could kick off a much larger overall financial panic. And if the whole financial system collapses, that's going to lead to the downfall of other sectors of the economy collapsing. Well, well right. But I don't think the derivatives, a, a possible derivatives crisis is out of sight. Yeah, I don't... That's not I off heard, the table. No, it's not off the table. See, that, that that's the wild card. You know, we can see these other process is kind of playing out naturally um, just as time goes on with some of these older giant retailers kind of slowly seizing and giving up the ghost like Sears or Toys R Us but 
if, if the financial system itself collapses, then all this other goes down with it. So is it going to be a process or is it going to be a sudden uh, collapse? You know, we right. just don't know. It, it, Revelation there, it says the, it does say, um, for there, therefore her plagues shall come in one day. So it, it sounds like it's going to happen rather quickly. Now, does a day mean 24 hours or... Well, exactly. even a prophetic day is typically a year in Daniel, in, in Ezekiel, and, and in some places in the Revelation. E even a year is, is a short period of time for such a, a, a momentous event. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, okay, <laughs> to God, you know, who's immortal and time goes on forever. Yeah, these things are happening happening very quick. You know, our lives are a lot shorter here in this mortal coil. So it, things that seem like they're taking a long time to us are in actuality happening at a rather brickneck clip in the overall scheme of things, of, you know, versus eternity or forever. Well, well, the the biggest one, one and and I see you have a lot here on food quality and and food propaganda, food truth, you call it. Yeah, you yeah. know, to me, one of the most dangerous, um, what one of the most dangerous aspects of the trend in food retailer consolidation is this, and I know because I've seen Walmart up close and personal. Not not only with not with what I do today, but what I did for a a, um, a career in the 1990s when I worked for a, a a small manufacturing a 50 million dollar a year manufacturing company which is a small manufacturing company and I was a technology manager for them and I interfaced with companies like Walmart, Home Depot, um, Kmart and part of my job was uh, of course, figuring out how to cut costs through the better use of technology and, and 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 communications and things like that, and electronic data interchange, which is what one of my special specialties was at the time. And and I saw how Walmart meddled in our um, our production processes and and demanded cost cuts in certain areas and and threatened the company I worked for if we didn't meet those cost cuts to sell our products cheaper to Walmart and and all of the major retailers started doing this following that same pattern Home Depot got in on the act and it even Army Air Force Exchange and and things like that got in on on that act of pressuring um, producers to cut costs and I know that that's going to spill over into food if Walmart got a big enough cut of, of the food market in this country and Amazon would do no differently they will pressure the producers of our food to cut costs even further and and basically will be eating nothing but junk yeah, that's that's Walmart is famous for putting the squeeze on their suppliers. Right. Um, I, I've heard truck drivers almost dread getting a load 
going to a Walmart store because they make almost no money on it. Um, they'll only take the load if they're going from A to B and their truck would have been empty otherwise. I've, I've heard that story told uh, numerous times. You would never, as an independent trucker, you would never like want to base your business around doing Walmart. Oh, you would probably be broke quick, I'm sure. That they'll replace you with Mexicans in in, in a yeah, in a moment was, if if you complain. Yeah, yeah, NAFTA, and then eventually the the, the yeah the the trend in trucking is going to be the um, the driverless truck um, automation is coming to the trucking industry sooner rather than later. Yeah, you know, there's rumors that um. Amazon was going to start delivering packages with drones, but, you know, I have niggers stealing all the drones. <laughs> I, I'm well, sure that the niggers are going to steal the drones. Well, one big trend that you don't hear a ton about is what they do now is they, they follow the UPS truck around, and as they deliver packages, they just go and steal them before people open the door. Right. Why not? So they just run around and get get Gibbs that way. Um, they just know people aren't home, so they run up, grab the box, and you can sell whatever's in there on eBay or whatnot. Or at the corner bar. I mean, laptop computers and new cell phones and whatever you could buy from Amazon. Yep, and then Amazon with their wonderful return policy. See, that's they stick it to the supplier because... Amazon will take anything back, or if they, you, the customer says they didn't get it, they get a full refund, pretty much no questions asked. So Amazon really sticks it to their suppliers, too. There's no doubt about it. Walmart does it. You oh, I'm sure Home Depot does it. You know, Eventually, they're, they're going to crush these smaller operations. Well, well, Amazon, when I was selling books, my, my books that I write through Lulu, and and whatever the that the um the book was selling for, if the book sold for thirty five dollars, I would get six or seven dollars in in the end, maybe eight. And when the same book sold through Amazon, Amazon demands fifty percent of the retail. And if Lulu wants twenty dollars to print a book, which is what they want to print a three hundred and fifty page hardcover book and I sell the book for $40, I make nothing, zero, because $20 goes to Amazon, and then Lulu wants $20 to print the book. So if I raise that price $4 to $44, then I get two bucks. Amazon, it is incredibly um, overbearing and, and overdemanding with that. I mean, all all you're doing is selling a book through the site. They're not doing the fulfillment. They're doing nothing but having that book accessible on their website for people to buy, and they want fifty percent of the retail. Yeah, their 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 thing is well, we're marketing for you, and that's where that people get into the conundrum of well, all the traffic is on Amazon.com. That's the that's the the asset that they have is all right. eyes are on them and. That's where the bodies are, is on Amazon.com. So you're, you're, in that, you're in that conundrum of, well, do I put my thing up there, sell more units, but 
make a pittance on each one? Can I make up for it in volume? And and or that's what I, well well that's what I decided to do is to sell my books on Amazon and I was only making about fifty cents per book. The one but I wanted my message and my material out there and available. It wasn't about profit to me. Yeah, you you weren't really profit driven, but businesses that are that like employ people, you're kind of a one man band. You know, a larger, even slightly larger type operation. They they really have to question whether it's worth it. And I've seen like a lot of you know back in the day, I would buy vitamins and stuff on Amazon and. Some of the companies you'd buy from them a couple of times on Amazon and then poof, they'd be gone because I'm sure Amazon put the screws on them so bad they just finally just said, well, it, it's just not worth it for us to do business with Amazon. Right. Yeah. Amazon does do to their suppliers exactly what Walmart's been doing, just in different ways. So you're, you're not going to get rich um, supplying Amazon with, with product. And if the food business is in their hands, what's going to happen to the quality of food? I don't buy food from Walmart. I mean, if it's a national brand and certain things, coffee, stuff like that, fine. But meat and, and vegetables, no way. And anything fresh, there's no way I'm buying it from Walmart. I know, and even, even worse than that is Sam's Club. I used to go into Sam's Club, and they'd have bananas there, and I'd look at them, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> right, bananas. Just, yeah, it's, okay, Sam's Club, it's probably even lower than the Walmart quality. Who knows? But I, I'm just like, I, I had a hard time buying food there, you know. Well, well right, because they're going to squeeze those food producers. And if Walmart and Amazon and a few companies, if, if the food business is concentrated in the hands of these few companies, that then we complain about the quality of our food now, forget it. It's going to get exponentially worse. Well, because they're going to put the squeeze on these, these growers and these ranchers. Um, and it's going to get, yeah, it is going to get worse. So, um you know there are some local places to get food, and okay, and so that kind of you know this food quality. So that that kind of uh, leads into the next next topic here. Uh, yeah, the, the section I yeah, I'd called it food truth, and you know as you had alluded to earlier, you know you're doing your protocol series. So we'll uh, I'm a big fan of reading the protocols. So here's from protocol three um, of the protocols of the learned elders of. Satan, as you would call them. <laughs> <laughs> we appear on the scene as alleged saviors of the worker from this oppression when we propose to him to enter the ranks of our fighting forces. Socialists, anarchists, communists, to whom we always give support in accordance with an alleged brotherly rule of the solidarity of all humanity, of our social masonry. The aristocracy, which enjoyed by law the labor of the workers, was interested in seeing that the workers were well-fed, healthy, and strong. We are interested in just the opposite, in the diminution, the killing out of the goyim. Our power is in the chronic shortness of food and a physical weakness of the worker, because by all that this implies he is made the slave of our will, and he will not find his own authorities either strength or energy to set against our will. Hunger creates the right of capital to rule the worker more surely than 
It was given to the aristocracy by the legal authority of kings. Now, now what proves the fulfillment of this more than the recently popular phrase, soy boy? Yes, soy is just poison, estrogen, garbage. Well, well this new generation, I, I mean, they're also called beta males, and, and there's a few other terms for them. But, but this new generation of men, and, and I'm not talking about the, the teenagers, I, I mean people from 20 to 50, most men are, are just soft-ass faggots today. And, and, and that they are... Um, that they don't assert themselves, that, that they don't stand up for, for their race, their people, their heritage, their culture. They don't stand for anything. They're just going along with the program and, and that they're weak and that they have no moral fiber anymore. And, and they're soy boys. They wear straight leg jeans, those, that, those tight leg jeans, and they wear pink shirts and tangerine peach peach they wear pastel colored clothing and and their wives have yet you know butch haircuts it, it's I, I mean men today are pussies and I, I would bet yeah. a lot of it is, is sperm counts are falling uh, I would bet a lot of it is because of the food supply yeah yeah soy is was created by Jews I'm, I'm pretty sure and then that's who's pushing it and marketing it yeah and that that does harken back to the protocols and one one website we had come across here is uh, it's called zerocarbzen.com and it's it's a WordPress site um, it says eat meat drink water and which is a good philosophy to live by um, and we were we had done some research here and we had come across another uh, uh, a psychologist I believe uh, Dr. Edie and from diagnosisdiet.com and she works with mentally ill people and trying to, to fix different uh, mental issues like uh, Parkinson's epilepsy stuff like that and this was from diagnosis.com slash food slash vegetables um, we are told that vegetables are powerful and virtuous that they fight off cancer sweep our digestive systems clean and strengthen our immune system, that they can help leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yet vegetables have a dark side. They don't want to be eaten any more than animals do and use sophisticated chemical weapons to defend themselves. Um, so vegetable psychology. We think of them as virtuous, vital components of a healthy diet, yet vegetables are cunning and manipulative. Deep down, they don't care about us. Our health is not their top priority, their top priority is their own survival. Plants have been on Earth for hundreds of millions of years, and they have learned a thing or two about survival. Uh, pretend you're a plant. You can't run away from animals that stop to dine on you. You can't growl to scare predators away. You can't wander around to meet other plants and reproduce. You can't brush off caterpillar, caterpillars that are nibbling on you. You can't swat away insects that stop to bite you. So how do you protect yourself? Well. You might have thorns or special structures to help deter some invaders, but mostly you use chemical weapons and very sophisticated ones at that. Plants have been on this planet a lot longer than we have, and they've got our number. They know what we like and don't like. They know how our cells work. They know our strengths and weaknesses. 
they have gone out of their way to make some vegetable parts taste bitter so that we are less likely to want to eat them. In fact, the produce industry has had to work hard to breed bitterness out of vegetables so that we will be more likely to buy them. These bitter substances not only taste bad, they also function as a highly specialized pesticides that are designed to kill insects, larvae, worms, bacteria, and fungi. Um, uh, they include things like specialized immune system molecules that recognize invaders, attach to them, and mark them for the kill, poisons that kill cells and mitochondria by bursting their membranes open, enzyme inhibitors that interfere with vital metabolic reactions, and oxidative toxins that break DNA strands. Um, but because we believe that vegetables are good for us, we spend lots of time, energy, and money trying to prove how these bitter pesticides might be beneficial to human health. Because many of these same chemicals function as antioxidants in the laboratory, scientists enjoy studying how they might be used to fight cancer and other diseases. Um, fair enough, but wouldn't it make more sense to also wonder whether these chemicals might be harmful to us? Yeah, you know, oh, okay, this is sort of written writ, written from an evolutionary biology point of view, which uh, I, I don't think we should necessarily agree with. However, I think that we just don't understand plants. Well, we yeah, don't. That's, that's partly true. Um, um, but what, you know, the, the key takeaway here is whether you believe, you know, it's been plants have been evolving over 100 million years or what they they have to have some defense mechanism well well right plants do have natural defenses against um uh, against bugs against predators against um bacteria and and other things like that against molds that there is no doubt that plants don't have that plants have those things um built into their natural structure no doubt but I, I think a lot of plants and, and things are sold to us that at, as food that aren't necessarily supposed to be used as food in a manner which they're used. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, um, now, okay, I used to be a big proponent of juicing. And the logic behind that was, well, carrots are good for you, aren't they? And, you know, don't they have vitamin A and beta carotene and all this other stuff? But, you know, the reality is you can't really get any nutritional value out of a carrot by chewing on it and, and swallowing it because it's basically it's, it's, it's basically a two-by-four. It's basically an orange hunk of wood. Uh, it's just solid cellulose. So the only way to extract any nutrients out of it is, is basically to run it through a juicer. Well, um, so if you do that, you're also getting a big dose of, of chemicals, you know, the natural... Uh, chemicals that the plant uses to defend itself, you know, uh, uh, immune system molecules that, you know, recognize invaders, attach to them and mark them for the kill, enzyme inhibitors that interfere with vital metabolic functions, poisons that kill cells and mitochondria. So that's what you're really getting. You're, you're, yeah, they say you're getting all these antioxidants and all these vitamins and stuff, but you're also getting poison in with your veggies uh, 
yeah, you know, I, I I can't argue with you about the the, the food value of every, every single plant, and and I really don't want to. What we yeah. get poisons, we get sugars, we get things that we don't intend. Um, in in a lot of fruits, I, I mean, fruits have nutrients and things that are valuable to us, but they also have a ton of sugar, what which yeah, isn't well, always good for us. Um, correct. Now, fruits are actually meant to be consumed by humans. Um, fruits are a different ballgame. Fruits actually taste good, but uh, right. vegetables... I, I'm using really, that as an example. That There's a yeah. lot of plants that we should just simply be squeezing oils from and, and using the oils. Uh, I don't think that we really understand plants and what what's really good for us and what's not because we've been sold and marketed things for so many years that that what we um what we basically lost a lot of ancient knowledge and it's been replaced by that these AMA edicts and and these false doctrines about food that we eat a lot of foods that aren't necessarily good for us and, and cellulose, cellulose is being sold. You, you know, you go to a bakery and, and look at the ingredients on, on your cinnamon rolls, and, and they're loaded with cellulose. What the hell? Well, what, what happened to flour? Well, and, and, and flour isn't, you know, any good either. Around our house here, we, we went through the fridge. We chucked all the vegetables, um, all the sugar, all the flour, all the chips, all the, the starch. All that stuff went out the window about three weeks ago, and now we're we're on uh, uh, the the keto diet, as it's known. So we're we're at about fifty grams or less of carbohydrates per day. I, I know a lot of people on a keto diet have done very well with it, and and um, have lost a lot of weight with it. And um, I'm not one of them. I, I um. I consume mostly fats and, and meat in my diet, but I, I can't give up my carbs altogether. I'm stubborn. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a very low-carb guy. I'm not a zero-carb guy. I'll have a banana in the afternoon. and I really don't eat much fruit. I'll eat blackberries and things like that, but, but I, I get most of my carbs from beer. I'm, I'm kind of kidding, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, in... in and I think it's been three weeks now. I'm down about nine pounds, and it's just I'm seeing a lot more solid muscle. So basically, yeah, I'm on protein, fat, and low-carb regimen right now, and no vegetables. And, you know, one of the larger points is, you know, my, my girlfriend was talking about how Instinctively, kids like when you put vegetables in front of them, they turn their nose up at them, or they they knock them off the plate, or throw them on the floor. They they don't like vegetables, and so we're always trying to get them to eat them. But what are we really doing to the kids? Um, it, it's kind of like we're we're kind of bypassing their their instincts of of what they're trying to defend themselves against this 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 food that you know, we call it food, that they're really not meant to consume. Well, well, back in the 1950s and 60s, and I don't know if it started sooner, sooner than that, but we started to be sold this 
scam about food groups and how that this food yep. pyramid that yeah, you that must have yep. so many helpings of carbohydrates a day and only a few helpings of meat and and so much fat and and most of the diet is carbohydrates and this um, food scam or scheme or whatever you want to call it has basically produced a, a nation of fat slobs it, it really has yeah the, the, the carbs you, you get on this roller coaster with carbohydrates um, you know when, when you when you start to eliminate the carbs then you don't get that crash so it, it, it leads to a lot more mental stability um, I've noticed that um, your, your mood stays more on an even keel. You don't have these highs and lows. And it, you know, it, that's, you know, what they call bipolar. A lot of that is just, I, I think it's diet and people on the uh, the sugar binge and purge and insulin and all, all those type of reactions. Well, well, people should seriously reconsider the the, the contents of their diet and, and what they eat. I, I do eat very few carbs. I eat some carbs. I love wild rice and things like that that I'm not probably never going to give up. But but I do eat very few carbs. I keep it to a minimum. Um, I, I'll have a burger out. And I, I throw away half the bun or I don't eat the bun at all and, and only eat a couple of french fries and things like that. And most of my diet is um, meat, cheese and oils and and um i i really try to eschew the carbs yeah that's what we've done here so that was that was kind of a message i wanted to get out to people it's like well hey you know the government sucks um you know trump's selling us out blah 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 well what you know okay you don't really have any control over what chuck schumer and nancy pelosi and donald trump are doing but you know you do have control over what you put in your mouth um, well, well, right, but all of the look, look at all of the food advertisements on television, and, oh, and yeah. they're constantly hawking um, carbs, very cheap foods with very high profit margins, right? Uh, I mean, potato chips and popcorn and what, whatever. It, it's all carb, carb, carb. That the breakfast cereals, that the five, six, seven dollar a box breakfast cereals, Cheerios, and things like that. That they're hawking constantly to kids, um, carbs and sugar, and and that they're artificial vitamins and minerals mixed in with them. <laughs> that this stuff has has raised a a, um, a couple of generations of basically cripples. Uh, I mean, really, it, it emasculated men, and, and and I don't know, it's. None of it's good. It, if corporations are selling it, it, it's the old adage about the inside aisles of the supermarkets to, to stay away from them. Yeah, and but you know, also the you know you got to watch out for the outside aisle too because that's where all the vegetables are. So I yeah, think, well the vegetables and the baked goods. Yep, yep, yeah, and I used to go by that axiom too. Hey, I, I'll. Let me get some carrots and beets, and uh, celery and potatoes. You know, and so we've gotten rid of all that garbage here. And in three weeks, I feel a lot better. Um, I'm, I've noticed a big improvement in just a short amount of time. 
Well, well, some of those things I wouldn't quit. I mean, I, I don't know. We could argue all day, but I, I see some value, some nutritional value in some of those things. But I think that most of those things we do not eat properly, or or those plants that have value, we we do not use them properly. Uh, I mean, it. Uh, all right, let's take the olive tree. The olive oil is much more useful to us and better for us than the olives themselves, right? That That's an example. Yeah. That there's a lot of um, nut trees that we should be extracting oils from that would be highly beneficial to us, and we don't use them, and and instead we're eating leaves. So... Yeah. Okay, so yeah, just to finish up on my article here. So uh, iceberg the, lettuce has zero nutritional value, right? Yeah, and I, I used to get a head of lettuce every week, you know, 89 cents. Well, yeah, I like having a salad. <coughs> and it, and then what do you do? You just dump some salad dressing on it because it's, otherwise it's gross. You wouldn't just sit there and eat a pile of lettuce. No, you have to put dressing on it and cheese or bacon bits, you know, stuff that you would really want to eat. Um so okay, the so the, the the author here of this thing she goes on to to talk a lot about vegetables and studies. Um, so the bottom line about vegetables, um, there is no scientific evidence proving that vegetables are necessary, let alone good for us. Uh, well, I, well, I, I see the biggest beef here is with fiber, and I would agree we don't need fiber. No, um, just just to finish up quick. However, most vegetables are naturally filling, low in carbohydrate, low in calories. Therefore, may be useful alternatives to junk food, sweets, and baked goods, um, dairy products, and seeds. Um, but due to the high fiber content, vegetables can be hard to digest. You know, i.e., carrots, especially if eaten raw. Um, um, vegetables contain naturally occurring defensive chemicals that are designed to harm creatures that try to feast upon them. These chemicals are very toxic to living cells. However, the concentrations that exist in most types of whole vegetables may be relatively safe for most people to eat in moderation. Um, vegetable extracts and concentrates may not be as safe as whole vegetables because the dose of vegetable chemicals is much higher in these products. Um, some vegetable families contain more potent toxins than others, so watch my food blog for my vegetable of the month feature to look which vegetables are most likely to cause trouble for sensitive people. Um, so yeah then you, you touched on fiber um, and, yeah there's no there's no proof anywhere that fiber is actually good for us um, so yeah here, she has another uh, article uh, Pulp Fiction The Truth About Fiber um, so what is fiber fiber comes from the cell walls of plants it provides shape and architectural support to the plant. Animals do not contain any fiber. We use bone and cartilage to support our bodies instead. What what wood is fiber, right? Cellulose. <laughs> Correct. Yes, wood. Uh, fiber is by definition indigestible by humans. Uh, there are two types of fiber, soluble and insoluble. All plant foods, fruit, vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, and grains, contain a combination of soluble and insoluble fiber in varying amounts. We are told that soluble fiber is good for us because it slows things down, and we are told that insoluble um, we're told that soluble soluble fiber is good for us because it slows things down, and insoluble is good because it speeds things up. Hmm. 
insoluble fiber, uh, the tough stuff. Insoluble fiber is affectionately called roughage. Um, insoluble fiber is called insoluble because it does not dissolve in water. It's the stuff that gives tree bark, nutshells, and twigs their woody texture. Um, foods high in insoluble fiber include grain, seeds, nuts, vegetables, and certain fruits. Um, insoluble fibers pass through our digestive systems practically untouched because even bacteria can't easily digest them. Uh, we are told that insoluble fiber is good for us because it adds weighty bulk to the contents of our intestines, helping to push things along. Um, but why expose the smooth inner surfaces of our intestines to these abrasive indigestibles? Uh, we were told we need them to sweep out our innards clean of potential toxins. Um, oddly enough, I was unable to locate a single scientific article explaining what these toxins are and how insoluble fiber removes them. Therefore, we must simply, it must simply be a common belief, an appealing image that makes sense in our minds, but has absolutely no science behind it. Right, I would agree that we absolutely have to rethink these things when they're pushed down our throats by the um, corporate medical industry and, and the corporate quote-unquote health industry, right? I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, and right in the protocols, it, you know, the Jews admit that they have the exact opposite interest of the the old aristocracy in seeing us healthy. They're trying to kill us out. So, of course, they're going to push things on us that they, hey, this is healthy, go eat this, eat your, get plenty of fiber when it's actually very detrimental to your health. Um so yeah, soluble fiber, it's the swell gel. Um, the biggest difference between soluble fiber and insoluble fiber is that, as the name implies, soluble in water, it can partially dissolve in water. Most of the over-the-counter laxatives are made with soluble fiber. Uh, soluble fiber dissolves partially in water, forming a gel. And you can see this happen when you stir a soluble fiber supplement, such as Metamucil, into a glass of water. Uh, the ability to add soluble fiber uh, to hold water is what allows fruits and vegetables and soft vegetable parts to contain water and yet maintain their firm shape. Uh, the soluble fiber uh, family includes a variety of plant compounds such as, and I'm going to butcher this, uh, arabinoxalin, uh, dextrins, insulin, waxes, uh, chitins, pectins, and beta-glucan. Uh, soluble fiber, it's found in apples, pears, oats, uh, pitted fruits, uh, psyllium. I'm sure people have taken probably psyllium supplements, uh, citrus fruits, beans, berries, Brussels sprouts, among other foods. Sometimes After fiber, you have a whole section here on red meat and, and destroying the bad reputation that red meat has yet you know I joked with my mother for years she'd tell me to eat more vegetables and I just get another steak and I'd say mom I am eating more vegetables this is processed grass 100% processed grass yeah see that's the thing human beings were not designed to eat grass so you can't get any nutritional value out of it so a cow does eat grass but a cow has seven stomachs to digest it 
So in order for you to get anything from that grass, you need to just eat the cow. Or drink right, the <laughs> exactly. I would fully agree. So I guess, uh, yeah, on the whole diatribe here, that's really the kind of what we're getting at is you're better off eating animal than you are plant. Um, you can get all your vitamins and minerals from animal sources except vitamin C. So if you can tolerate some fruits, that's a good way to get your vitamin C, or you can take a vitamin C supplement. Well, well there are certain vitamins you can only get from animal sources. The, the B-complex vitamins, you can't get them from vegetables. No, no. You, that's why people that think that they're doing well by getting out of vegetarian diet are really killing themselves. Um, they're... There's a lot of stuff you can't get from from plant sources, and you're also probably slowly poisoning yourself. So fiber, um, that's a fail. Um, yeah, like you said, yeah, meat has a bad reputation. Um, meat is made of animal muscle fibers, which come in uh, two major types: fast and slow. Uh, the dark or slow fibers are designed for endurance where the light fibers are designed for rapid bursts. Um, so, you know, that, that's dark meat and light meat. Um, we around here used to only like white meat, but now we eat both. Um, um, red meat has had a bad rap. Um, I, I think mainly because I think the Jews are trying to Keep white people from eating meat and, and getting strong. I think that's really what they're trying to avoid. They're trying to weaken us so they can they can kill us off easier. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's no doubt that most of the food that they're selling in the supermarkets, most of the, I, I'm sorry, most of the stuff they're selling in the supermarkets is, is poison. That there's no doubt in my mind. Even things that are good, that, that are historically good for us, like wheat flour, ha has been made in, into a, a negative through the hybridization and bastardization of the weed. Yeah, and yeah, if, if, if there was good plants out there, by the time Monsanto and whatever else gets done with them, the GMO shit, it's surely no good for you. Um, uh, if you can, right, I mean, what, from what I've seen here, you know, lately, the, the best you can really do is if you can get some grass-fed beef with no antibiotics and no no hormones. And eggs. Um, I eat quite a few eggs. You know, probably on a typical day, three to six eggs probably you know we, we do hard-boiled eggs now so if you're you're out and about you're getting hungry well instead of snacking on chips or you know drinking sugar pop or some garbage eat a hard-boiled egg well well you know there's no um catchy advertising for hard-boiled eggs right no no there isn't there's not going <laughs> to be there was when i was a kid they used to you know there used to be commercials for eggs you know the incredible edible egg you know, I don't really see those much anymore, but you know, I don't watch a lot of TV either. So 
I don't know if they push eggs at all anymore, but eggs got this bad rap with the cholesterol thing. But in reality, eggs are very good for you, and your brain is basically cholesterol. So, Well, yeah, the cholesterol thing is in a whole nother lie. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of those things, I think, where it also mentions in the protocols that they they get us to think that we're learned by buying into, you know, bullshit that the Jews know is, is false. But the bottom line is that eating right not only preserves us, but eating right unplugs a lot of these multinational corporate businesses that they've created centered around feeding people garbage. Garbage packaged as food. Correct. Yeah, and really, that's that's really what I would tell people. Everyone's like, well, we can't vote our way out of this. What can we do? And, and there's, there's kind of this false debate between... Well, if we can't vote, if there's no political solution, well, that means we have to grab a gun and, and shoot people. No, <laughs> there's actually a lot of alternatives there in the middle. Um, you don't have to shoot people to, to make an impact. You know, there's a lot of things you can do, um, you know, that, that, that can make a huge impact. You know, vote with your feet. If you know, enough if of us city, did those things, yes. Yeah, like if you're in a city that's less than 50% white and it's getting completely overrun, you probably need to move. Um, you know, as far as diet and exercise, you know, keep yourself healthy, get some exercise, you know, eat. If you're a, a, a male, eat meat, drink water, lift weights. I guess that's the best thing I could tell you to do. And of course, you know, we're, we're Christians here, so follow the commandments of God. Now, if you stick to that, that is going to make a huge impact on the Jew. Because Jews can't, can't really exist if we would follow God's laws. Well, well absolutely. Jews, the, the, Jews the, the thriving of Jews is only the result of our sin. What we accept that the Jews are history's oldest panderers, and they have pandered to us for many centuries sin. They've sold us gambling, they've sold us prostitution, pornography, uh, all sorts of sin. And th this goes back to the relationship between the Jews and, and, and the nobility early in the Middle Ages, and if we didn't sin, if we weren't so accommodating to the Jewish pandering, then Jews wouldn't be able to rule over us. It's that simple. That's that's a hundred percent correct. And it's in really so. In, instead of always okay, you know, and I, I, you know, I enjoy blaming the Jews as much as anybody, but. Really, if we control ourselves, that's going to naturally lessen them. Right. Absolutely. Well, we did so, control ourselves to, to a great extent for a long time and after most of the European nations accepted Christianity. And, and even though the Jew was always there in the background thriving on the weak, most of us, most of the time, resisted the Jew in, in our Christian paradigm, and, and the Jew couldn't rule over us. 
Yeah, I mean, if we took care of our own business, they couldn't have these giant monopolies. They feed off our our uh, disobedience to God. Absolutely. So, if, if you love Christ, follow His commandments. If you want to damage the Jews, follow Christ's commandments. That's how you do it. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna overthrow the government on your own. You know, you're not gonna get into a street battle with Antifa and then have this victory. That's not how it works. Maybe we'll talk about Antifa on one of these programs upcoming. Yeah. <laughs> they're just that they're just um people that are radicalized for the Jew. Correct. Okay, so just I guess just to finish up on meat, um, so the, the bottom line on meat is uh, healthy animal foods are wholesome and nutritionally complete. Meat is easy to digest and absorb, contains no anti-nutrients like the, the plant poisons or toxins or irritating substances, you know, like fiber. And there is no evidence that meat, saturated fat, or cholesterol are harmful to human health. In fact, there is plenty of evidence of that meat, saturated fat, and cholesterol are vital to health. Um, so whenever possible, choose healthy meats from naturally raised animals. Limit processed meats. And when eating grilled meats, you may want to trim away any burned or blackened edges. Um, well, and, well <laughs> and anyway, if you think about it, these the, the foods that are healthiest for you are the foods that are most difficult for Amazon.com to sell to you. Yeah, fresh meat. And one one thing that you know we've come across in our travels is um, basically uh, is histamines and you know the or salicylates um, is is they're also called and that they're, they're a, a chemical that occurs naturally in many plants, including fruits and vegetables and herbs. Uh, salicylates in plants act as a natural immune hormone, um, but you know you can also see these in 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 meat, and as um, as time goes on, as meat ages, the, the older it gets, the more the histamines build up in it, and that's where a lot of these allergies come from. Um, so the the most common symptoms of uh, salicylate sensitivity are, and, and this is from uh, zerocarbzen.com, uh, uh, stomach pain or upset stomach, uh, tinnitus, you know, ringing of the ears itchy skin, hives, or rashes, asthma, or and other breathing difficulties, um, angioedema, headaches, migraines, uh, swelling of the hands, feet, eyelids, face, and lips, um, bedwetting or urgency to pass water, persistent cough, changes in skin color or skin discoloration, fatigue, sore, itchy, puffy, or burning eyes, uh, sinusitis, nasal polyps, diarrhea, nausea, hyperactivity, memory loss, and poor concentration, and depression. So, getting old meat or you know cheap food, yeah, you're getting a lot of these salicylates or histamines in your food. Like you said, like stuff that takes a while to get. You know, if, it, if a side of beef has been hanging up in a store somewhere for weeks before you get it, you know, it's probably not going to be too good for you. 
So the, the, the fresher you can get it, the better off you are. Now, there are other problems in a food chain. I, I, I've had terrible, I myself, the last 10 months have had terrible um, gastrointestinal problems that, that I thought may, might be my um, gallbladder and other things that, that I'm really discovering is coming from certain oils that I'm eating outside of my home. When I eat fried chicken out, I, I, that I have this onset of these problems. I, I have to... Um, yeah, vegetables, it, vegetable oil is really high in that stuff. That there are some vegetable oils that, that or some oils they're using in some of these restaurants that are just destroying me that I, I've realized I can't eat any yeah. fried foods out of the house. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of salicylates in there, and that's probably what's causing your problems. Yeah. Well, well at home, at, at home, I use nothing but peanut oil for frying and olive oil for almost anything else, and I never have a problem. So I don't know if it's soy or canola, or or whatever it is, it's killing me. Well, I mean, the, the the commercial food is a lot of it's just poison. You know, deep fried foods in a commercial setting are they're going to use the cheap. You know, vegetable oil just to produce it is it's it's a it's a very unnatural process. A lot of chemicals involved in in breaking down the vegetable to get the oil extracted. Um, it's a nasty thing and. You should in no way put that garbage in your body. Well, well there are huge health issues the last um, yeah. 10 to 15 years with reflux, right? And yep. I've been getting terrible reflux, but I realized that I don't have any issues with reflux when I don't eat oils outside of my home, like fried foods in restaurants, and when I stay away from certain bread. Yeah, we've, we've eliminated all bread here. Um, we... I used to eat, you know, a few, several tortillas with, with each, you know, meal. I, I loved them. You know, I would stick beans in there. Well, we don't eat beans anymore. Um, it's kind of a joke now. Like, our table now has got two plates on it instead of all this other garbage that would overflow the, the table with, you know, salad and tortillas. And, and we've gotten rid of all of that crap. And we look better and we feel better. Well, um, well, not eating beans and taco shells in Texas yeah. could be a a huge social issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily we're we're pretty reclusive around here, so <laughs> you're not coming to our barbecue. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I I do a lot of barbecuing, and that that was a point um, um, my girl was making that there's there's several uh, uh, passages in scripture where it talks about. You know, a burnt offering to God, and he finds it, it to be a pleasing aroma. Um, so our take on that was perhaps God likes barbecue. Well, well, I mean, we had to go through this stuff, but and, and we'll probably hit on it more in the future, I'm sure. But, but the bottom line is that the corporate food business is killing us. Yes. And, and we have to way, break away from it. Yeah, they're interested in... the killing out of the goyim okay and 
Um, I forget that one passage. You you would mention that all the plagues that would be inflicted on us if we disobeyed God. Um, Deuteronomy twenty eight, and and we have them all. They're all here. It just hasn't rained frogs yet, but that's only in Egypt anyway. So. So yeah, that that was uh, that that's one that always sticks with me. So. You know, I don't like to be a total Debbie Downer on on people. Hey, it's doom and gloom. You know, the end of the world is coming. Or because typically, with if you hear me doing a podcast, you're going to get something like JFK assassination, 9/11 nukes, uh, end of the world. Um, well, well, you know, it's it's clear to most of my listeners, I think, without me even having to say it, that there's a lot of poison in in our food. But I think that that the and and I agree with you that the degree of poison in what we consider food is a lot greater than most of us even perceive. Yeah, because it, it's 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 like a low dose poison. You know, it's not like you're going to eat one carrot and then you're going to do the crappie flop and die. You know, that's not how it works. It's more of a longer term process over years and years where this garbage builds up in you. And just slowly over time, you start losing effectiveness, you start breaking down, your your body doesn't function as well. You're not as effective. And you're not mentally sharp, and you're not able to mount any resistance. Well, I think we've always eaten some carrots or some tubers, but yeah. they, they really didn't do us any harm. But but that's because most of the other food we've eaten is healthy. And and yeah. today it's today it's all trash. I, I mean, all of these. Uh, okay, just about every baked good product has cellulose in it. And people see that in the ingredient list and they don't think anything of it. But that could be sawdust. That they, yeah, I, I mean, what's to stop them from... I mean, sawdust is technically cellulose. Subway what the hell is was, it? Subway, you know, a few years ago, they were putting actual... Like, the, the garbage they make yoga mats out of in the bread. Yeah. And then they're selling you that the bread is nine grain healthy or yet you know healthy bread. Maybe it's from nine different types of yoga mats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but so you know, I, I recommend <coughs> staying away from bread. Um, you know, and I've eaten plenty of it over the years. Um, I'm I'm on cold turkey now. Um, EVA foam, I guess. Yeah, sneakers are made out of the same thing. Um, so your your footlong is made out of the same thing as your sneakers. <laughs> your lunch and your sneakers. Five dollar footlong, goy. <laughs> got a yoga mat in there or some sneakers for you, and you wonder why you've got a belly ache. Um, so um, what one? Yeah, like like I said the. Uh, for me, a, a lot of this uh, info I'd come across is on the zerocarbzen.com website. So I highly encourage people to go there. Um, it's free. Uh, they hadn't updated it, you know, maybe in about a year, but there's a lot of good info there. And um, the testimonials are, are, uh, are pretty informative um, just to, to – you know, read what some of these people have, have tried over the years and what's worked for them. 
you know, and, and just because one thing works for one guy doesn't mean it's going to work for the other. You know, everybody's a little different, so you have to you have to go through. It's a process, and you have to find out what works for you. Well, well, I know probably half a dozen people that have been on on a keto diet, and and all the people I know that were on a keto diet had startling degrees of success with weight loss and getting themselves back in shape. And I, I, I am not on the keto diet, and I'm probably about 30 pounds overweight. Some people might say 40. I, I don't think so. I'm not fat, but I am 40 pounds heavier than I was when I got out of prison. However, when you're in prison, you're just emaciated anyway, right? I mean, you, you just don't get a lot of food and 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 protein it's it's impossible so i don't know how much I, I i should weigh ideally i would guess it's probably about 25 or 30 pounds less than i weigh now right well well <clears throat> i'm not in in um horrible shape by any means I, I don't consider myself anyway but but the keto diet would probably do me some good i'm on something yeah you know my natural eating pattern comes close to it but I, I do eat some carbs and and i like a couple of beers every evening I, i'm not going to part with those carbs <laughs> and <laughs> I, I ain't got it happening right I, I mean my ancestors brought beer from egypt <laughs> well i i would just say this I, I i went low carb too and i used to love beer but i've been uh my beer intake has been drastically reduced since uh my living arrangements have changed. I guess we'll just put it that way. And I feel when I got off of the carb uh, uh, merry-go-round there, the, the roller coaster, I just feel a lot better. Um, it, it takes a minute to adjust to it, but, you know, I'm not a zero-carb guy. Some of these people are absolute zero. Right. I'm not there, but... I'm transitioning towards that, and and some of the veterans will say, yeah, the low carb people, you're, you're, you'll be zero carb eventually. Um, well, well, the idea of the keto diet is to teach your body to train your body to burn oils. Yeah, to burn fat instead of carbohydrates. Right, energy. to yeah. burn oils, and oils are basically fat, right? And, yeah. and fats, and you will be a lot healthier, there's no doubt. If you could get your body to burn fats and oils routinely rather than, um, you, you know, when you work out even, or, or when you run, your, your body is going to burn the easiest things it could attain to in, in, in order to provide you with the calories you need to, to do your exercise. And, of course, that's carbs, your your body um can even convert proteins into carbs when it needs it so you really don't need to consume carbs you need to teach your body to co convert your your proteins and fat into calories and you'll lose the fat that your body has stored that yep, that's yeah, the yeah. idea behind the keto diet and yep, it works yeah. i know it works i've i've seen um several of of my close friends go on a keto diet and lose significant amounts of weight without any um, emaciation or muscle loss, or, yet you know that you that they don't look skinny; they look healthy. Yeah, I'm. I've lost 
maybe eight or nine pounds in three weeks, but I've gained muscle. So it's not like before when I would lose weight, I would lose muscle. Um, when I'm on the carb uh, roller coaster, but now that I'm getting off of that, um, I mean, I look better. I, I just, I look in the mirror and I, the, what I see now is just a lot better than what I saw three weeks ago. So I, I highly encourage everybody to, uh, to investigate this. And I mean, there's not going to be, you know, an easy answer. I mean, this, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. You know, we're not going to just push a button and fix the country, you know. Well, well, right. But when you free yourself of the the Frito Lays and the, the the Betty Crockers and all of that crap that most people typically eat every day, yeah, you'll yeah, be exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that I want to spend. You know, I think next week you're doing a show, but you know, on on, on the alt right, where you know, a guy like. You know, I don't want to spend you know a bunch of time ripping on Matt Heimbach, but he, you know, he's overweight and he was screwing around. He was cheating on his wife, and he got into a lot of trouble. So it it shows that yeah, we're none of us are perfect and we're all fallible. But you have to try as hard as you can to toe the line. That's really what you need to do. I mean, Trump is going to do what he's going to do. Okay, you can't, and you have no control over Chuck Schumer. You can't stop him. You know, you can't stop the ADL or the SPLC or Mossad, you know, my, my fan base, basically. They're going to do what they do, but you can control what you do. So Yeah, you know something I, I, I kind of notice from, from my own life experience, that the Romans used to say that a sound mind Roman philosophers that, that a sound mind is a sound body but it works the other way around too yes you, you, yeah that the only reason really I, I lift weights is to keep my brain going a sound body is a sound mind yeah yeah the two are inseparable you can't say you can't have a, a fully functioning brain with a broken down body unless you're Stephen Hawking but well, what what I'm saying is a body um, yeah. laden with poisons and yes. and with, with sloth and and if you're licentious in in your body, your your morals are going to reflect that. Yeah, I, and I, I have no doubt about that. You're not going to live up to the the. I mean, well, not not that any of us can live up to the Christ standard, but you're surely not going to get. You're not going to reach your potential unless you're you're healthy. Well, well, right. A fat slob, in in other words, is is a difficult man to trust as a a moral leader. Yeah, you can't be a leader. I mean, before to be a leader of men, you'd have to lead people into battle, and a a, a fat drunk guy can't do that. No. So that, you have to have some self discipline. You have to. You have to follow the commandments, and you have to eat healthy, and you have to get some sleep and lift some weights. Yeah, that that comes to a point where we, where where we all reach an age where we just start to gain a little weight. But yeah. a man that's a fat slob at twenty four years old is never going to be cut out to be a leader. He does not have the moral turpitude to to be to lead anything. No, and you know, and the point you've made is we're not really supposed to boss each other around anyway. Um, 
So I, I guess what I'm doing is I'm telling people, hey, this is what it says. This is what you're supposed to do according to Scripture, and this is what's worked for me. And, you know, I, I think the more people we can get doing this, the more it's going to help us in the long run. And, and I'm sorry, I said moral turpitude. I actually, that, that's an oxymoron since turpitude is depravity. Uh, I should have said moral integrity. But, yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm trying to give people, you know, some white pills and some stuff that they can do in their daily lives that will have an impact. And um, just living right and living healthy, it, that's a bigger impact on the Jew than, than you might imagine. In, in, in fact, if everybody started doing that, these small little changes across a large number of us is going to have a big impact on their bottom line because believe me, they actuary all this stuff out. Hey, we're going to sell this many bag of chips this month. We're going to sell this many, you know, whatever poison this month. If you well, don't well, right, it, but part of the Christian lifestyle should be to, to live soundly and healthily to, to care for the, the temple. So, so we, we shouldn't eat a bag of chips a day. Well, we no. just shouldn't. I I generally don't eat things like chips at all. But if somebody opens a bag, I might grab a couple. But but that's about it. And and that only happens once in a blue moon. It, it's there's a lot of foods that I eschew because that they're, they're um, manufactured artificial foods that that shouldn't be in our diets, right? Like well, like breakfast cereals and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we used to eat chips and cereal around here, and we just dumped it all out. I mean, we filled the garbage can up one week, and we're spending about you know the same amount of money now, but it's all different stuff, and there's so much less junk in the fridge now. Like, when I opened the door, um, before we had all this stuff in there, you couldn't see halfway into the fridge. You know, now you can see all the way to the back, and it's not cluttered. And like the one thing, and I, I encourage people to do is take a look at what's on the door of your refrigerator: ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise, you know, salad dressing. All of this garbage needs to go. Pretty much ninety-nine percent of you out there, when you open that refrigerator door, there it is. You know, that's a good place to start. But, well, I think this has been a really long digression. It, it's kind of related yeah. to our core topic, but not quite. But, but it's just that the, the disassociation from from the um, corporate food chain because it's it's an artificial food chain. Yes, and okay, and eventually we know that's going to collapse. So we know that you want to you want to be doing local food and. Um, you know, if you can get out of a city and get some land or, you know, there's there's some of these places there you can, like, you can go in on a cow, you know, or a steer or whatever. You know, some of those are starting to pop up. That might be something to look at in your local area. And then when that animal gets butchered, you get the meat. You know, those type of things. That That's the sort of thing we can do. Now, in, in future shows, um, I'm going to start looking at I've already been looking at more kind of like macroeconomic things that, you know, state economies, 
uh, city economies, things like that, that are <laughs> that are teetering on the brink. And that's why I had started. That's why I had started on this retail collapse because it's as retail fails, it's it's causing issues with with local city budgets. And when when big cities start collapsing, then that means the states that they're in are going to start collapsing too. And I've got, you know, the next show, we'll, we'll have some info on that. Well, well, notice that there are more supermarkets in, in financial trouble than there are fast food chains. Yeah, well, although McDonald's is having problems too. I had read a story. Now, they had closed, I believe, 750 stores. Um, I didn't. There weren't a lot of headlines on it, but I did see that story that I believe half of those were overseas and half were here in the U.S. Wow, I have never seen a McDonald's close. Yeah, it's pretty rare. I I, I saw a picture of one and it was eerie. But uh, apparently, McDonald's executives are frustrated. Was the, was one of the headlines I saw. Um, people are trying to eat healthier, so they're ditching McDonald's. That's the first thing to go. And deep-fried French fries, folks, are about probably the worst thing you can put in your body. Well, well, they're not food. I mean, no, not. no. And you're talking. I'm a guy that's eaten plenty of them over the years, so I'm not gonna say that I'm holier than thou. But I'm not doing that anymore. Well, well, so have I. In some places, they're good as hell, but they're not really food. No, no, you should not put that in your body. No. What what food value does a deep fried French fry have? Zero. I mean, <laughs> the only thing good about it is the salt and the ketchup. And, and salt is good for you, but uh, ketchup not so much. What they put in it is, you know, the commercially available ketchup is not good. It's genetically mongrelized. Yeah, yeah, and there's. You know, there's fructose in it and all this other crap. So high fructose corn syrup, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, so, Don. That that that's we should probably wrap this up on that yeah. note. And and thank you for being here. And and um, we'll be back in four weeks, six weeks, whatever. Yep. Okay. Talk, wonderful. Talk to you, Bill, and God bless everyone out there. Praise Yahweh.